Suspiria is giallo, deal with it. It most definitely is not giallo. It is super, supernatural or giallo. That's a A-train ticket to pretentiousness. No, well, maybe it's overall pretentious to jump into the discussion of what giallo is or isn't. Insofar as giallo is anything, you know, it's a, just a, such of a wide term for a specific kind of films. See, that, that right there, that's pretension going on. Pay attention, audience. This, this is pretension going on. This is the antithesis of pretentiousness. I'm, I'm now butthurt and refuse to work with you. Welcome to the local Coven Gathering. This is the Flick Lab podcast. My name is Karin. Another week and another week with the Flick Lab. And here's Henrik. Welcome to the show. Yeah. The, the show that just refuses to die like old hags in the attic. Yeah. This is uh, rather an infectious disease that we're doing here. <laughs> the, 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 the infectious is not the only thing that our podcast has to do with COVID-19. <laughs> this also is bad for your health, and mo most likely once you catch it, uh, also with the flea club, you hope that you would just you know drop dead instead of going through the whole getting better process. It's the point of view, like we we are the virus, so we are enjoying this. And <laughs> in, in enjoying is, is a word. Perhaps too strong of a word, but it most definitely is a word that exists in English language. Sounds like the words of a proper seasoned co-host. <laughs> 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 All right, what the hell is this show about? Every Thursday we go through world of cinema and we delve into the world of international cinema. Today it's going to be an Italian flick and we're going to look at Suspiria. Why, Henrik? Why on earth? Well, I I wanna I wanna start this this case, laying out my case by stating that this is once again your goddamn fault. No, oh, I thought this was one of your favs once again. We have gone through Hellraiser. No, and... no, no. Well, the two other lovely listeners, Karni is gonna tell you a hell of a lot of lies in in course of of today's episode. So just to, in order to clear the air. The reason why why we are in today's episode, yeah, that's perfectly that's that's my fault, that's my doing. So apologies <laughs> for that one. The reason why we are in this shit show altogether is because of Carrie, because Carrie has has this hard on for what is what what was the why do I have I, to have a hard on in every episode lately? <laughs> this is getting weird. Well, you are a weird man, really weird man, but. <laughs> Yeah, Gary is a huge fan of Guaracnino, who made Suspiria the remake, and Gary has been talking to me that we should actually cover the, the remake, so that we get more Guaracnino in, in, the, in the show. And I have been maintaining that if we do the remake, we, for consistency's sake, we have to also tackle Dario Argento's original film. Yeah. Yeah, I have no problem with that at all. Actually, that's that's exactly what we should do 
from the beginning, the get-go. I, I, I don't think I've ever opposed that fact. Anyway, the reason we are actually in this mess is the reason that that we went through all the Halloween films already in the beginning of the podcast. So we, ha- we have none left for your Halloween pleasure. So it has to be Suspiria. But, but we, we, we are Finnish podcast hosts, so we don't have to care about Halloween because Halloween itself is a, is a disgusting American holiday. Well, oh, what, oh, what happened to the what, what happened to the glorious Finnish traditions when well, that, that, that's... during the day, day of day of Halloween instead of celebrating Halloween, you go to the graves in silence. And that's exactly Remember what we generations that are long past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can remember the generations and come to this degenerate podcast to listen to how we are kind of giving the pedestal for this Finnish version of Halloween, so to speak. Like we are, oh, God, we are celebrating uh, dead Finnish, people. Finnish veterans, the Finnish veterans did not sacrifice themselves on behalf of the Flickla. <laughs> like But they did sacrifice themselves for Italian giallo Suspiria. <laughs> Suspiria is is not Giallo. Let, let's yes, get that is. one out of the gates first. Okay. <laughs> Un- unexpected conflicts that we're going to have here. I just found out just before we pushed recording. Anyway, this is the kind of film podcast where we exhaust ourselves to death with the workload. Even then, we are rarely happy with the end result. Director is the man of Giallo, Dario Argento. Yeah, the the man who is who is kind of, kind of the golden cow of of horror community and horror genre. Yeah, the guy who, along with many other greats like uh, Mario Bava, is very well known for the giallo. And actually, well, when we talk about giallo, of course, Dario Argento was the one who. Kind of gave it the proper kick around the 70s with his film The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which kind of kicked it off. And of course, there had been some Giallo-like films already from the 60s, but this is where it became into a frenzy. Yeah, Argento wasn't a director from the beginning, of course. He was a, actually a film critic, and he dabbled in some screenwriting and collaborated in the uh, story of the Once Upon a Time in the West, if I remember correctly. And... Uh, He acted as the producer for Romero's Dawn of the Dead, so he's been kind of here and there. And of course, something interesting is that uh, Argento, of course, has inspired a plethora of filmmakers. If you ask from any of these uh, great, great directors, usually they will name also Suspiria as one of the greats. And um, John Carpenter was also famously inspired by the style of Suspiria. At least when it comes to the music. I would say that th- there is a parallel between Suspiria and Carpenter's Halloween when it comes to the soundtrack of the movies. When it comes to ba- basically everything else, the relationships are loose at best. Horror films in themselves usually are really simple in their plot mechanics, as is this one here and Halloween works great with a simple enough plotline. But if not talking about plotlines, there is of course like the, the, the style of music, as you said, like the very simple and catchy piano tune. Yeah, and if, if we do talk about plotlines, as you brought it up, uh, that's uh, actually pretty much my point when it comes to Chialos. 
Halloween works very well with a simple plotline, whereas your traditional Giallo really can't make a simple plotline work. You're saying that Giallo is more complex. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm saying that Giallo is a goddamn clusterfuck. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying that, that a lot of the clout that Mario Argento enjoys is kind of undeserved to be completely blunt and brutally honest, as we should be on, on the podcast. And Giallos themselves, I really don't get the, the huge fuss behind Giallos. I do get some of the appeal, because some of it actually works for me too. When it comes to the visual, when it comes to the cinematography, when it comes to the soundtracks, that I think works quite well at times in Giallo movies. Also, the atmosphere is something that Giallo directors can really make work. But altogether, Giallos themselves are extremely problematic genre. And I would say where the problems most lie in Giallos, it is in the story structure and the way how the narrative is being built and told to you. And Dario Argento is, is kind of a culprit A when it comes to this dumb fuckery. Mm. Well, we were discussing how we might differ on viewing Suspiria, whether it's Giallo or whether it's not Giallo. Well, let's say this, that I find a hell of a lot of elements that you see in a general Giallo film. And so I would go with, as I explained to you in Finnish before we started, there are these special close-ups, for example, when the murderer is doing his thing, we, we take a close eye on, on different camera angles that just kind of fly past you. And I think there's quite a lot of these, these uh, 70s typical zoom-in uh, pictures, which are supposed to hide in the tension and whatnot, uh, which actually Guadagnino was using as a special technique in his version, in the 2018 version. And, uh, of course, uh, there is, I guess, the, the majority of the Giallo films have quite a convincing cinematography. It's, it's mostly a pleasure to look at, even if the goddamn film doesn't make any goddamn sense. At least there's something to look at there. And then you can forgive a lot of things, as is the case with Suspiria. Yeah, the film to which a hell of a lot has been forgiven through, throughout the years. Uh, when, yeah. when it comes to drawing the line, is Suspiria Giallo or is it not? Yeah, certainly everything that you mentioned exists in, in Suspiria. But I wouldn't necessarily credit those aspects, the cinematography and the visual style and sure, gloved I... hands. Yeah. For, for Giallo, I would credit them more to Argento himself and, like you said, 70s filmmaking. Because mm. uh, one thing that kind of is, is Giallo, is, is traditional Giallo, everybody already knows this. But in case that in, in the listener base there is someone who hasn't yet heard the, the well-spoken, widely spread hot fact about Giallo. Giallo itself, Giallo's essentially, they are very much murder mysteries. The term Giallo means yellow in English. It becomes from the old Italian polyp 
magazines, pulp novels, which were printed on really cheap yellowish paper. Yeah. And these kind of these stories usually were some kind of a graphic murder mysteries. There's a serial killer who butchers a bunch of people, and there is a person who has to has to kind of study the case. And that's exactly something that doesn't exist in Suspiria. Suspiria, you really don't have a killer in a traditional sense. You do have a traditional Chiolo kill, two of them, in, in Suspiria. But, well, like, like the soundtrack, the film's own theme song spoils it out to you in the first five minutes into the film. Basically, all the rest of the violence the mystery, everything that happens in Suspiria is tied to the supernatural, which is an aspect that you don't really see in Giallo's. And I, because of that, I would count Suspiria more as a supernatural horror film. Mm. Well, I was supposed to expand on that definition or elements of Giallo that I see here. As you mentioned quickly, there is the, the black leather gloves and I think you definitely have a murder mystery. That's what it's all about. No, it kind of ain't. Well, no, well... it kind of ain't. You don't even, even, you know, when it comes to the two murders that are perpetrated by a gloved hand, you don't ever even learn to whom that hand belongs to, except most likely Dario Argento himself. And nobody is ever really even trying to study the goddamn murders or inspect the murders well yeah that's one thing that is is very prominent in suspicious narrative nobody is actually interested in really to to, to find out what the hell is going on on the dance academy all the characters are kind of they, they are just studying whole bunch of different mysteries that just happen to relate to the murders yeah, the, but, the characters aren't particularly interested about, at least. And that kind of ain't. Well, I would say that the hand, the mystery hand, I have a pretty good idea for whom that might belong to. But of course, you know, it's kept kind of vague. But if you look at the, the hands in this film, you have a certain kinds of hands holding the knife, at least in some of the scenes. And then there is the, the witch herself. I wouldn't count too much to the hands and looking too carefully the hands when it comes to Dario Argento's films. Yeah, well, also the director is known for kind of not making sense. His fin films are kind of a collection of events that happen and the, the majority of attention that is paid to here is the visual style and in the later years not even the visual styles goddamn nothing but here at least we have this one writing on it and a lot of inspirations from different fairy tales and yeah when it comes to inspirations that's also a really complex and not at all applying point fairy tales do play a big part in Suspiria basically everybody who has reviewed or commented on Suspiria has drawn the parallel between the film and the fairy tales. John Coleman in, in the new Criterion, for example, said that Suspiria is Lewis Carroll meeting Caligari. 
So, in Isuspiria, the predators most definitely are there and they are easy to see. I wouldn't say that they are that prominent in the rest of Argento's body of work. Yeah, that it is. And since, but... since you mentioned the Argento's directing style, or, or, the, or the whole thing that he's trying to do, the, the, the whole style over substance thing, that's pretty much my... Perhaps my biggest problem when it comes to Argento altogether and, and your typical Argento features and something that I most definitely have never understood why the horror community has been so forgiving to Argento on this regard. Like Argento gets a hell of a lot of bats in the back from the horror community where I would make the argument that the stuff that if any other director would pull off, he would be criticized immediately. Like the plot not making any sense. Like the culprit being half-assed and just quickly pulled out of somewhere with no real motivation what's happening. The timelines being all over the place. Characters being able to do things that you kind of really have to ask, like, how the fuck did he do that? Like, you can have killers that, that club themselves unconscious and God knows what in Argento's films. If if you, me, or the, you know, Mike from the next door would make a horror film, and we would have these, these aspects in our films, I would even say problems, we most likely would be called out, and everybody would point out that, what, what the fuck is going on with your timeline, why doesn't this make any sense, why wasn't the killer even built up, why was nothing in relation to anything, but when, it, when it's Dario Argento, this, this, all, this all gets translated into prose, like it just feeds into the super, the abstract and surreal atmosphere of the film it makes it more spooky scary and well things in normal life don't really make sense all the time so it makes the horror more realistic and therefore it's it's spooky scary and i'm kind of a really fed up with with dario <laughs> argento defendism okay Perhaps kind of surprising. I was expecting this to be the Daria Argento some kind of a praise episode, at least on the part of the, on, on part of Suspiria. But there is, I guess, a lot. On, to... on part of Suspiria, this is at least on my part. Make no mistake. I there there are a few films that I really do love from Dario Argento, and Suspiria is one of them. Mm. But Suspiria, in my opinion, it works. Precisely because it's not Giallo. Suspiria does do hell of a lot of the same crimes and mistakes that I feel that Dario Argento and Giallos in general do. But they don't bother me that much in with Suspiria, mainly because Suspiria is supernatural, the witches and dark magic type of deal. So you're forgiving Argento anyway? That the plot doesn't make any sense. I, I'm giving. I, I'm forgiving it in this case. I'm also. I can forgive it in, for example, with phenomena. But I can't really forgive it that strongly with, for example, with Tenebre or 
prayer with a crystal plumage or other more clearly giallos and more traditional storylines. Yeah. Like that... My main problem with, with giallo is that there are some things that repeatedly happen in giallo when it comes to giallo storytelling. And there, there are some, some key aspects. This is, once again, to harken back to the discussion we had, is Suspiria Giallo or not? Uh, traditional Giallo elements to watch out for in, in your films to, to find out, are you by accident trying to make a Giallo? Uh, the first thing you have is everyday character, kind of every man, someone who, who has a profession which you wouldn't at first hand think that would relate to trying to solve a serial murder case, but which still somehow allows you to travel around the city and oftentimes somehow makes you quasi-famous, at least in, in the closed circle of characters that you have. Good examples for a Giallo char main character would be a writer, a photographer, um, opera singer, uh, some blind dude, if he's blind, uh, I don't know, a governmental taxes man who, who is working for the government's tax office. And, uh, what, what's important is that basically, even though your taxes man is someone that, who you wouldn't think would be well known, in the city where he works for, he still somehow really is. Like everybody knows the taxes man, or at least every main character of the film knows the taxes man. And then you need some kind of a really ham-fisted inciting incident. Like if we, for example, we go with the, with the taxes man character. If I would explain to you a hypothetical Giallo film that you and me could be doing. Mm -hmm. Let's take the taxes man as a, as a main character. Is there, you have your inciting incident, the taxes man is on, on his office, he's, he's doing the taxes, going through the tax reports. And then he's, all of a sudden he notices, what's this? The old lady who lives in an old shack on the outskirts of, of the city has marked her receivables wrong. I most definitely must correct this error. Tries to send email to the old lady. Old lady is old, so doesn't have a computer, tries to call the lady, or the phone lines are temporarily out of service, has to go and meet the lady in, in person, walks to mm. the old lady's hut, knocks on the door, no one there, it's completely silent. Opens the door slowly, it's open, goes in, Ooh, are you there, old lady? Yells around, no answer. Here's some kind of a screaking sound coming from the living room, like a rocking chair, yeah. goes to the living room. Yeah. Oh my fucking God! Somebody has killed the old lady. Yeah, got it, got it. Runs out of the house, calls the cops. Phone lines work now. That's important. Now they are working. Uh, the cops come to the scene, but what the Texas man doesn't realize is that the killer was still hiding in, in the scene and has now noticed that Texas man has found old lady's corpse. So now the killer comes way too efficient and fixed on the taxes man. Starts to do all kind of trolling shit. You know, devilish laugh or makes curling noise. 
and doesn't say anything. That, that's shit like that. Start to send letters to Texas man and gives more people. Texas man now, even though he really shouldn't take any part in an official police investigation, comes tied up with an official police investigation. Yeah. More yeah. murders happen now. They they happen in in Texas man circle of friends. Like his colleague, the junior Texas man gets gets stabbed, and the, the cops figure out that. Like 40 years ago, there, there was a serial murderer who stalked the, the streets of the city. The culprit was never apprehended. Nobody ever was able to crack the case. And perhaps at this point, this point ends a junior Texas man getting killed. Later on, it turns out that the old lady was actually that serial murderer 40 years ago. What the, does that have, have to do with anything? Well, f- fucking nothing, because Chiolo. And follow this this trail of plotting to the fu- final showdown, which happens in in art gallery exhibition and in an old abattoir, or you know, if nothing else works, just put it on on the Texas man office. The killer comes there, and they they have a fight off. Texas man throws the killer out of the window, and the case is solved. Final scene at the police station, the police constable who is being, or the chief inspector who has been studying the murders now explains to Taxis man that who the killer was, it was just some fucking rando because Giallo and he killed a whole bunch of people because traumatic childhood and was insane. End the film there. Like you, you, you can the, the final shot of the movie can can literally be Texas man asking the the chief inspector. So what, what what how were the murders connected to each other? And the inspector is like in no relation whatsoever. Sips coffee, mm-hmm. roll credits immediately. Like that's mm-hmm. that's god damn it. That that's why we almost like that that's a package deal GLO to you. I, I could even, you know, start asking what the fuck is Dario Argento's phone number because I have a script to sell it to him. The only thing we are cu- currently missing is is an title that has an animal motif because that's also something really important in Giallo's. You have to have animal motif: a bird with a crystal plumage, a cat o' nine tails, something like that. So we would have to come up with something like so- some type of animal name. And something kind of weird, like wages of sin and blood, because taxes men, and insert animal motive into that. Like for example, fuck, fuck it. Hey, come on, I, I, I actually got it. I got it. Uh, well, let's go with dragons. Dragons are animals, right? So, draconian, draconian wages of sin and blood. There you have, there you have, you have the outline of the plot and you have the title for a Giallo film. <laughs> give, give us, seriously, listeners, listeners, give, give us 5,000, 5,000 and me and Carly, we try to film this shit show. <laughs> and everything that you just mentioned there is is up to how you see Giallo. And in many articles, if you browse around the internet, they are just plainly saying that there is also this side of supernatural horror of Giallo. And so it's part of Giallo. There is more of this horror-laid 
Suspiria type of Giallo, there is something with the crystal plumage type of stuff, which is which I definitely don't see as horror, but more of a, like an investigative thriller, which is what it is. I would say that still <laughs> there is enough elements in Suspiria that you can say that it goes into this same Dario Argento bunch, call it Giallo, call it whatever the fuck you want. But these all these styles that you see in Suspiria were, were heavily inspirational for the horror of the future and and especially in, in America who started uh, kind of copying Suspiria or maybe it's just you know like a feature of these almost C-grade horror films where the way that people call uh, Giallo something different in the way of its art it's more of a case like you have a cheap production and that's just what what it's going to end up looking like <laughs> i think suspiria is uh is reeking of that kind of a also cheap look uh, of course it has great cinematography but there are these elements that of course are screaming to your face that this is not exactly a multi-million dollar production or not even paid that much attention to as people like to usually say I, I would almost make the case that, that Suspiria looks the most expensive film that Dario Argento has ever made. Perhaps yeah. not with counting in The Phantom of the Opera, which was a complete shit show. Also, not a giallo, but most diversely Dario Argento feature. And I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe another film from, from Argento that can, can rival Suspiria's budget would have, would have been the, was it 2002's Dracula 3D or just Dracula <laughs> if you didn't get the 3D treatment, which, which also comes from Argento, hence completely fucking unwatchable. Yeah, of course it is. It's already the description is in the title, Dracula 3D. You definitely don't want to say that. But when it comes to the the style or or how this this Suspiria happens to look maybe better than the later career <laughs> Argento movies for sure, it comes down very much to the fact that at this point uh, apparently Dario Argento was still giving a shit, and he had uh, Luciano Tavoli as the cinematographer who, of course, is one of the most well-known Italian cinematographers with an like, over 50-year career and wasn't even into horror, but met Argento later on and was like, okay, let's, let's try this one. And when it comes to cinematography in Argento's later career, there's nothing there. And Argento clearly has lost all his interest. I don't know why he's even bothering, except for the paycheck. The Dario is is an interesting case, not not just artistically wise, because when it comes to Dario as an artist, you can kind of have this trajectory, this professional tra trajectory or craft that you can follow. Usually, how it goes with directors is that they they start from nothing and they rise to the top, and then they slowly start to windling to the back, back to the bottom. But with, with, with Dario Argento, it's kind of a, like, like a rocket sled rides to the top <laughs> and then continues on top and then hits a brick wall and comes crashing down. And when, when it comes to 
Argento's fans, on the other, other hand, a kind of a fascinating trend that I've picked up is that with fans, there are kind of like three tiers of Argento films. There's the masterpiece tier, which everybody always remembers to, to mention. These are your four flies on uh, Grey Velvet, Deep Reds, Cat O' Nine Tales, even Suspirias. Then you have the absolute dog shit tier. These are films that everybody also remembers to mention, and everybody agrees that are not really that good. In 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 this tier, you'll have, like mentioned, you have the Dracula 3D and Giallo from 2009, which was also named Giallo, and films like that. And then you have, between these two, you, you have the Obscurities tier, which consists a whole bunch of films that nobody ever fucking mentions. And in here you have, have your... Phantom of the Operas and your the Stendhal syndromes and your sleeplesses and and whole bunch of film that I I'm guessing everybody just for some reason just tries to forget and that's really interesting tier because in 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 the obscurities you have a mixed bag of something really goddamn bafflingly awful like the phantom of the opera and something that is rel still relatively okay like for example that standard syndrome yeah well it's just the case that you're a clueless critic henrik to paraphrase Dario Argento, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a, the critics don't know what they're talking about. When I made the Three Mothers, I know what Three Mothers is about, but you don't know, Henrik. <laughs> well, I I can actually believe Argento on that. <laughs> I, I can believe that Argento knew what he was doing, because Argento has to be the only person on the God's green earth who knew what the hell he was doing with Three Mothers trilogy. And if someone is a little bit clueless what we're talking about here, Suspiria, at least later on, during Inferno, got attached to this kind of a trilogy idea and the idea of the three mothers, which is not mentioned in any way in Suspiria. But Suspiria is now part of a, a trilogy uh, consisting of 1980s Inferno and then the 27 years later <laughs> idea of actually putting out the final installment, the Three Mothers. Stylistically wise, Inferno is like visually a solid continuation, but then what happens in, in the Three Mothers, well, the only Argento can tell us. Yeah, when it comes to what the hell happens in the mythology of Three Mothers, also only Argento can tell us, and most definitely won't. But continuing on about the actual movie of the day, Suspiria, what is Suspiria known for? Well, it has this huge set piece structures and uh, pronounced visual elements, apparently. And uh, that story is basically based on the essays of Thomas de Quincey, considered a very important writer from the 1800s in the English literature. Original stories that he wrote these essays they have essentially nothing to do with witches but argento in his mind was able to come up with this whole witch story out of that 
Yeah, Quincy's originally, and I would say the thing that his fame is based upon is his piece Confessions of an English Opium Eater. And that that's good, kind of a... When you mentioned Quincy as a being extremely famous, I would say that that Confessions is where that fame stems from. When it comes to his essays, uh, Suspiria de Profundis, or Size from the Depths, as it's translated to English, um, you can actually find some connections to Suspiria, like thematic-wise. Nothing direct, but there is some aspects where, where you can kind of see that this may have been something that inspired Argento when he was coming up with the whole idea. Yeah, Suspiria de Profundis also being considered some kind of a supreme prose fantasy of English literature, actually. Yeah, well, when it comes to, to Suspiria Profundis, I can give you the the short English translation of, of the parts which co- comes comes from the section Levana and Our Ladies of, of Sorrow. This being now the the part from which I would say Argento draw the whole three mothers concept or got the inspiration for his three mothers. And when it comes to Levana, there is a a short passage, a short in term, terms of our overlong podcast passage, which where you can kind of see at least some thematical aspects that would tie into Suspiria. To kind of read read the version that I have, this is now concerning the the second sister. In, in Levana, the, the main idea is that there are three sisters who all have these these grandiose names or, or nicknames and these nicknames Dario Argento for example took directly to his three mothers but concerning the second sister who would be the foundation block or the main inspiration for Suspiria's Helena Marcos the second sister is called Mater Suspiriorum or Our Lady of Size she never scales the clouds, nor walks abroad upon the winds. She wears no diadem, and her eyes, if they were ever seen, would be neither sweet nor subtle. No man could read their story. They would be found filled with perishing dreams and wrecks of forgotten delirium. But she rises, not her head, her head on which sits dilapidated turban, Troops forever, forever fastens on the dust. She weeps not, she groans not, but she sighs at intervals. Her sister Madonna is oftentimes stormy and frantic, raging in the highest heaven and demanding back her darlings. But our lady of sighs never clamors, never defies, dreams not of rebellious aspirations. She is humble to abjectness. Hers is the meekness that belongs to the hopeless. Murmur she may, but it is in her sleep. Whisper she may, but it is to herself in the twilight. 
Mother she does, but it is in solitary places that are as desolate as she is desolate, in ruined cities and when the sun has gone down to his rest, all that are betrayed and all that are rejected, outcasts by traditionary law and children of hereditary disgrace. All these walk with Our Lady of Sighs. She also carries a key, but she needs it little, for her kingdom is chiefly amongst the tents of Shem, and the houses of vagrant of every clime. Yet, in the very highest ranks of man, she finds chapels of her own, and even in glorious England, there are some that to the world carry their heads as proudly as the reindeer, yet who secretly have received her mark upon their foreheads. So that would be the Mater Suspiriorum, who would also be the whole personification of Helena Marcos of, of Suspiria. And like mentioned, there are some things that you can find connecting with the witches common of Suspiria. Like, for example, the, the whole idea of, of size and not being that open to everybody, like the way how Helena Marcos doesn't really make that loud of a noise when she's in the public place, like in, in the gym hall, in, in, in that one sleepover scene, when, when she's shy uh, as eyes or when she groans, it's in, in her own quarters, hidden inside that secret walkway within the wall, or the whole idea of, of societal rejects coming together in her name and kind of bearing her mark, which would kind of easily be seen to translate into the witches that exist in the Suspirias witches coven. But like mentioned, really nothing that would directly link the Quincy's work to Dario Argento's film. Something that you can see inspirations, yeah, but nothing direct. Mother of Size, who was played by Lela Svasta and Jessica Harper, commented on it, quote, The witch was a 90-year-old ex-hooker Dario had found on the streets of Rome, end quote. So this is the kind of casting going on here. The casting is... It's kind of all over the place. You do have some interesting names in, in the cast for certain. You do have established legendary actors like Joan Bennett, to who, whom Suspiria would be the last theatrical film that she would ever work for. Three next films that she would still be able to do would be TV movies, if I remember correctly. But Bennett, perhaps being most well known for appearing in in Dark Shadows and also working with Fritzsche Lang and other big time directors. Yeah, and and and, and Lela Svasta known for this movie, and that's that's it. But yeah, there are a lot of big names. Depends. You you have some. Yeah. You, you have some big names, but then you also have, at this point at least, 
and in some cases for the rest of their careers, really unheard names. Yeah. Like well, Jessica Harper, who here plays the main ro- role, her really, the, the only notable previous film before Suspiria would have been Phantom of the Paradise, which most likely, if if the stories are true, was the film that actually presented Jessica Harper to Dario Argento. Argento have, having to see the Phantom and immediately being liking the movie to a point where that was the reason why Jessica was cast to the film. Or like Barbara McNolfi, who in, in Suspiria is, is the names of the snakes lady, Olga, who did a whole bunch of work in, in other giallos while also working as a model. But also somewhat unknown, like like in in the middle of it, unknown. She is is known. She does have a noticeable career or or a filmographic leg- legacy that does carry with her. But once again, is is not a kind of a big time name. No, but we can note that uh, she had played in uh, the new Suspiria also a supporting role and has appeared in some capacity in Minority Report. Can't really recall, maybe you know that better where that happens. Yeah, he she does have a cameo. Right. In in Suspiria plays was it Anke, the character's name? But yeah, she she has a small role in in 2080s Suspiria, most likely as a kind of a fan service cameo to play tribute to Dario Argento's original version. Also, since you mentioned Minority Report, yeah, she is Anna Lively in uh, in that film. And Udo Kier is in a bunch of Dario Argento movies. This German-born actor lives in the U.S. now, but has collaborated with Argento frequently. Well, Udo has been in whole bunch of stuff, yeah. really. Most likely, if you watch cinema, you have seen Udo here in somewhere. Yeah, John Bennett. Yeah, this is a famous face, collaborated a lot with Fritz Lang. Dario Nicolodi is, of course, the writer here. Uh, Dario and Dario... They met while doing the Deep Red film. She was uh, the girlfriend of Argento for a while. But maybe you could roughly say that after they separated, then the quality of Argento's films also collapsed. Well, she she has continued to, to act on, on Argento's films. The latest one that I can remember would be... She was in the, the Three Mothers, for sure. Yeah, precisely that one. Essentially, the whole horror community has agreed that that Mother of Tears was not good at all. <laughs> mm. I I would say I would say that it, it is better than Goddamn Inferno, but then again, you know, lighting yourself on fire is better than Inferno. Really? No, well, Inferno is certainly a hundred times better product. Well, that's kind of a stretch in the scale, but is infinitely better than what we had in Three Mothers. Sure, Inferno doesn't make any goddamn sense. Sure, it has like 25 different lead characters that are 
killed off one by one. Sure, nothing makes sense, but there's visually something, some really interesting scenes there. For the most part, it's enjoy enjoyable visually. And that's about it. Well, if I remember correctly, Mother of Tears also has, has some really interesting, at times even great, yet altogether completely baffling cinematography. The three Mothers. Yeah. Like that, 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 I, I do remember there's this one shot from the film where this old dude is in a library of, of some sort or something like that. It, it's some kind of a library or bookstore. But the dude has a really gigantic like green magnifying glass on his table and, and he's sitting in, in a way that his head is is behind the magnifying glass that his head is being widened out of proportions and that is is an interesting shot in the film so you at times you you have cinematography in in mother of tears yeah, I don't know. It just uh, looks looked like a cheap TV movie. Better to be forgotten. Nothing to offer. Not artistically, and not plot-wise. And when it comes to plot-wise, that, that's an accusation that also works for Inferno. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> besides, 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 did it Mother of Tears at least have tits? in there somewhere. Could have been. I do remember seeing nudity in that film. Could have been. Hey, whatever gets your horror boat floating. But yeah, there are the three witches, the Mother of Size, the Helena Marcus that we already discussed about, the Black Queen, and then there is the Mother Tenebraum in Inferno, the Mother of Darkness. And then there is Mother Lacrimarum, the Mother of Tears, the most beautiful and the most powerful witch. And that's essentially the trilogy. Fighting witches in a way where we just kind of end up suddenly into the finale and things happen and everything's on fire and laugh like you've gone completely mad and roll credits. Pretty much, that's the Dario Argento experience. We didn't even touch on in Suspiria the HP Lovecraft symmetry that one might find here. The nightmare logic that you could use as an argument to say that well it doesn't matter what happens here because it's just nightmare or dream logic and yeah that is true and uh, henrik seems to agree with that so we can move on no Tur i don't no i i, I don't that's uh, other bullshit but that <laughs> might be something that argento really is trying to pull off but it it just doesn't come off oh like oh, you you mentioned you mentioned to, to tackle both points, you mentioned, to, to start with the whole H.P. Lovecraft, which, yeah, you can actually see that in, in Suspiria, not a hell of a lot of it, but there are some moments where you can see some Lovecraftian elements. And that might actually be pretty much with purpose on, on Argento's end, because allegedly Argento was originally supposed to or did want to do an H.P. Lovecraft filmatization. What story would be in case? I'm not entirely sure, but he did have aspirations to to make a, a film about the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. 
But unfortunately, the American production company that he was in talks with didn't see this project happening and backed out of it. Argento has claimed that it this would have been because his Lovecraft script wouldn't have been easy to get a cohesive story out. And that would have scared the production company out of the deals or out of the talks. And then Argento was starting to think that he would like to do a fantasy film. And while he was thinking of his, his fantasy movie, he found the witches, which have always fascinated Argento. The reason is a rumor going on that that might partly or largely be because Argento himself believes in, in well, if not, in supernatural itself, at least into the large conclaves of witches and satanists, mm. and supernatural. It's been pretty clear from that. And, and and supernatural, but that basically the the whole. I wanted to make an H.P. Lovecraft filmatization. Well, I couldn't. I started to think about doing a fantasy film. I I found the witches. And from somewhere during that process, apparently he also found the old fairy tales and most likely also Disney cartoons like Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. And that's basically the whole, uh, the Argento's road into starting to write and craft the script of Suspiria. Yeah, and... Uh... We also haven't touched on the the feminism stories that you could pull off here. Well, uh, in interviews, Terry Argento has mentioned that he simply it's his personal preference that he likes to have, I suppose, young women in his films because, well, he just prefers to watch young women to be on the screen, mutilated or not rather than having some male uh, characters. And I completely understand that from a male perspective. Uh, <coughs> um, as, as far as I've understood, that's that's not exactly the case. That That's kind of the case, but not precisely. What Terry said that there is there's this kind of infamous quote from Argento that he gave in, in I don't know, remember what interview. But anyways, Dario Argento said, I like women, especially beautiful ones. Yeah. If they have a good face and figure, I would prefer to watch them being murdered than an ugly girl or man. I certainly don't have to justify myself to anyone about this. I don't care what anybody reads into it. And that that already yeah. is, is, is kind of a, as, as we would say in modern times, Problematic, well, but it's, to, to it's kind of add, add to the whole, whole, whole what the fuckness of, of the situation. There's also this behind the, the scenes uh, rumor going on that Dario Argento really likes to play the role of the killer in his films. This is why I, I said that you shouldn't pay too much attention to the hand in in Suspiria because as far as I've understood 
Dario Argento really likes to be that hag. In most of his films, according to this rumor, the the, ha the gloved hand that's holding the knife and and knifing the living daylights out of a woman, that that's actually Argento's hand. Well, I which when when combined with his quote, it is like Dario Argento driving straight through the station of kind of problematic and straight into the town of fucking yikes. Okay, Henrik, let, let me ask you this. If you would make Suspiria or any other movie, in fact, would you rather have beautiful girls or what's your what's your idea? Let me hear it. Most likely, I, well, in, in the hypothetical situation that I could really pick all, all, all the every actor and actress that appears in my movie and not not be you know confined into whoever my friends I managed managed to scrap this time territory of filmmaking I would actually say that I would try to cast both young and old women also both young and and old men. Yeah, okay. Most likely also, perhaps, perhaps, if I could get away with it, cast a kid but and if, fucking stab the kid. But if you, you know? if, if you prefer young girls in your or young women in your film, and you prefer beautiful women to be in your film and you're the director, I think you have the creative freedom to go with that. I'm not saying that it's really cool, but if that's the thing that you want to do with your film, and who am I to say? Because this is also a two-way thing. It's uh, good for the director who wants to do it. And secondly, it's good for the marketing. Because sexiness sells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and no, nobody is, is saying that Argento or, you know, any director couldn't cast young women into his films. I'm not even saying that Argento casting young women altogether in his films and mainly young women into his films is is problematic. What is problematic in when taking in Dario Argento's quote and the backstage rumor is that apparently Dario Argento has a real interest in stabbing the young woman. In 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 the the problematic element in the quote is is precisely the fact that when he says that he prefers to watch young women being murdered. Okay, let me make this even more problematic and uh, let's get all the Dario Argento lawyers on our asses after this episode. And how would you see this situation if I would tell you, if you didn't know, that Dario Argento originally planned to have about 10-year-old girls in the story. But the producers said that having 10-year-olds as your main actors in this story would probably not work so well. So stabbing 10-year-old kids in the fashion that we see here, if you want to go with that horse. Yeah, I also now heard, uh, have heard this little tidbit about how the production was planned. And I can't really understand why the fuck the producers were to Argento like, no, you can't have a bunch of kids being murdered in your, in your film. At least cast goddamn adults. <laughs> and that whole, I wasn't able to use kids in my horror film thing, mo most likely 
I or at least I believe that may have been one of the primary reasons why this turned out or why the setting of the movie turned out into a ballet school like university or, or ballet college whatever it's supposed to be in, in Suspiria. Wasn't it ballet school with the 10-year-olds as well? I don't remember what it was supposed to be with 10-year-olds but I I would say that there are moments in the film that most likely are a result of Dario Argento being denied his his 10-year-old. Well, I can just imagine how this conversation would go. Like they would have like a huge meeting with this long table. The producers are gathered there with Dario and Daria and they hand a script and the producer goes like, yeah, looks good. But wait, 10-year-olds? What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. We're going to stop funding this right now if you don't change them, if you don't add to their age at least 10 to 20 years. I think that's what actually happened. Most likely that's what happened. Or or they, Argento was, was constantly calling the producers and, and one day the producers said that we are not going to answer your goddamn calls unless you change the script and remove all the 10-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, when it comes to other inspirations for this film, a lot of these uh, fairy tale inspirations seem to be coming from Daria's, Daria's direction. There is also the story of Bluebeard. It's a French folk tale. There is this uh, wealthy man in the story, if you don't know about it, dear listener. And there's this wealthy man has a habit of murdering his wives. But then there is this one wife that will not want to face the same fate as the predecessor wife. So kind of similar. Except no wives, except no husband. Then there's uh, something about Pinocchio being also inspiration for the story. And Alice's adventures in the Wonderland. There was a story that Nicolodi would have said that uh, her grandmother's... One story would have gone so that uh, the grandmother would have experienced black magic at some academy. However, Argento then later said that this story was fabricated. And uh, the final sequence was based on a dream of Nicolodi while she was staying in Los Angeles, unless it's also fabricated, you know. Then we have the location of the Whale House in Germany, this like gothic, late gothic bourgeois house in the old town of Freiburg in Breisgau. The outside wall of of the dance academy, that is is based on on the real on the the whale house. With that, I, I'm not entirely certain, did they actually shoot those outdoor shots of the building on, on location, or was it also being reconstructed on a soundstage? Many of the indoor shots, I would say all of them, or at least most of them, that you see in the film happening inside the dance academy, those, uh, to my knowledge, they have been shot on a soundstage, on, on built environments. And then there are few shots or scenes that have been shot in Munich in, in different places. This would be at least the swing, swimming pool scene, the bar scene where Daniel leaves the blind pianist, leaves the, the beer house. That's that does exist in Munich. Also, the square where the dog attack happens, that's also in Munich. And mm. also the outdoor shots when 
Susie is being told about the witches by the two professors, that's also being shot in Munich. Yeah, when it comes to Munich, there's also the Munich airport, of course, which starts the film. And this uh, discussion with this uh, witchcraft professor or who it was, this was filmed outside the BMW uh, headquarters in Munich. But mostly, indeed, done in the Pauli studios in Rome. Yeah, the film did pretty well, all things considered. Uh, Fox acquired the rights for this but was actually hesitant to release the film after all, because the film was so violent, but then they released it anyway. And this is also Argento's highest grossing film in the US. Music here is done by Goblin in collaboration with Argento. They have been collaborating in a couple of cases. Uh, they had already done the Deep Red before Suspiria, about two years before, and this is the case where, like it often is, that the score was done before the film was shot. And I don't know, I'm not sure, so sure about this style, but it kind of shows, eh? I, on, on my end, on the other hand, I absolutely love Goblin's music. And that includes also Suspiria's soundtrack. Mm, there isn't that much music there, but whatever there is, yeah, sure, I can see that it's catchy and it's a kind of original and simplistic which often works and i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of the the theme tune honestly but um i think it works i think it's overplayed and uh but i will get to that in my review part of of the thing but yeah anton white from little white lies said quote susperia is a baroque piece of esoteric expressionism that you enter and exit without understanding so much as feeling janet masling from the new york times said Mr. Argento's methods make potentially stomach-turning material more interesting than it ought to be. Whereas Jay Hoberman from Village Voice said, a movie that makes sense only to the eye, and even then. Favorite performance? Um, on my end, that would go to Olivia Harper, who plays the main role. In my case... Certainly not. It would go to Alida Valli playing Miss Tanner, because she's proper disturbing and quite believable in what she does. That that's only only because she forcibly smiles all the goddamn time. Yeah, could be, or that hair pulled back and those eyes. Favorite quote line. Um, this one goes to the two professors of the movie. Bad luck isn't brought by broken mirrors, but broken minds. And this would go to one of the professors. Bad luck isn't brought by broken mirrors, but broken minds. Oh, was it the same one? Look, see doop, see doop. Apparently by broken records. <laughs> I don't think this is a wonderfully quotable movie, but this was pretty philosophical. No, no, this, this ain't. Yeah. In in fact, a hell of a lot of our films ever since we left the original cheap horror days, the beginning days of our podcast, we have been struggling to find really quotable movies. <laughs> we hit a gem every now and then. Usually they are thanks to me, like for example, Zombie Strippers, which was extremely quotable movie. <laughs> but unfortunately, most of our picks are done by you so quotes quotes are hard to find 
Yeah. Sorry for picking up your one of your favorite horror films, right? Oh. Favorite kill. Would be the first kill of the film. Well, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that lady gets beaten, stabbed, has a cord shoved up her ass, I guess, in that one scene, and then gets strangled and eventually hanged, and perhaps bleeds to death. So how can you not like it? Well, that was uh, quite of a nice first five minutes or so. I was like, whew, this actually works. That was fun in a perverse way. It is, it is. And it's also, I would say, it is perhaps the best example of Argento's style that the film gives to you. Like, yeah. n not to say that there wouldn't be a really terrific cinematography and usage of color in Suspiria outside of the first murder. But in the first murder, you have, I, in my opinion, the best combination of different uh, uh, things that Argento pulls off really well, just firing off one after each other. You have a good at atmosphere setting. You you have this kind of a weird at and now even dreamlike kind of a feeling going on before the violence starts. Some of the violence is shocking. You have a really good usage of of color, and you have some really nice cinematographical angles in use. Three adjectives to describe the film. Beautiful, because it is lush, because it most definitely is. There's, there's a lot of color and a lot of really well done color play. In, in Suspiria, like if if you are a film theorist and you like the whole color color the theory in film, you must definitely have to check out Suspiria. And finally, Moody. Well, speaking of colors, Henrik, my three adjectives would be red, green, and blue. Guess that's what it goddamn is. Henrik, here you can go on a little trip. Would you recommend Suspiria? Would I recommend Suspiria? Yes, I would recommend Suspiria. I wouldn't necessarily recommend Dario Argento's body of work, but of which I have a lot to say, but I most definitely, I do recommend Suspiria. I think that Suspiria succeeds best in all the films of Dario Argento to uh, pull off and have the effect that Dario Argento wants to have. Argento has repeatedly stated, and Argento's fans and defenders have repeatedly stated, how Dario's films are dreamlike. They are even more than dreamlike. They are like dreams. They are like simulations of dreams. Mm. And I've always had a problem uh, with, with that notion, because I've never felt that Argento has been abstract and surreal enough to to have have those those dreams, to, to have his films as as personifications of dreams. There's always too much logic and too much of cinematic construct in his films. Like we have dealt with dreamlike movies, we we have dealt dealt with 
the un, uh, an Andalusian dog and the staggering girl. And Nightmare on Elm Street too. <laughs> yeah, which is is which is a good example of dreamlike film because that's dreamlike like Argento's films, and neither one of them is is dreamlike really in the sense like an Andalusian dog. Hell, I would even say that the staggering girl is more dreamlike than Argento's movies or Nightmare on Elm Street too, and it doesn't exactly work in in Suspiria either. Suspiria also is is too much. It's it's it makes too much sense. It's too sensical of a film to really work as a dream. But I do think that his whole attempt is perhaps strongest in Suspiria. Well, in here you can actually see some clearly dreamlike moments sequences, shots, scenes, even though the rest of the film fails to live up to that promise. Yeah, I mean, I mean and... if I can uh, jump in just a bit, I think it's not the dreamlike in like how it begins and ends. It's it's linear, like kind of real life, if you will. But where that dreamlike aspect comes in the full show is just the use of the camera and the and the colors. Just giving you this kind of off feeling that this is colored in such a way that this is not something that you experience in real life. And that, well, two things with that notion. A, yeah, that actually works and happens in Suspiria. Not necessarily the rest of his, his more, more traditional Giallo works, but it does happen that the coloring, the color thing does happen in Suspiria. The other point is that the problem I have with with the whole it, it's like a dream thing is that when, when it comes to all the things that Dario Argento fails to do in his movies, like for example the plot being all over the place, nothing making any goddamn sense, everything ending abruptly, and the build-ups being kind of sometimes strong and other times real meh. All of that is constantly being defended and explained away with the notion that, well, that's how dreams work. Dreams don't make narrative sense. They ain't constructed logically. Dreams, 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 dreams. And because of that, I'm really hesitant to give the dream props to, uh, to Argento. Because, like mentioned, in the end, Argento's stories, the films, they are linear, unlike dreams. Hmm. And in their linear nature, they actually showcase that there really is not that much plot going on in the films. And in my opinion, the, the reason why it, it doesn't bug me that much in Suspiria as it does in other Argentos is precisely because in, in here, it's a supernatural film, and the threat is supernatural. It's a bunch of witches. So I'm more forgiving to the Argento clumsiness in, in this case, simply because the film altogether, the narrative altogether, isn't being tied down with the real world and, and realism, like it is when you are dealing with something like a murderer a serial killer, both things that actually exist and happen in real world and happen in relation to realism and realistic events. 
which is are not real. A- at least not these hocus pocus we can pull off spell types of witches. And because of that, I'm more lenient to forgive Argento here on this case than than in his other films. Well, look, I like I've I've liked Suspiria always in some way visually, but certainly when I saw this film as a kid, I thought I thought genuinely that people people are insane when they are saying that this is one of the best horror films ever made. Honestly, but I've come around quite a bit. It's visually imp- impressive, yeah, and it has uh, some truly terrifying pieces of cinematography in a good way, but even with that said, I don't think that the pacing was always perfect. And there are some scenes where the film would get out of situations too quickly. And even though that the soundtrack is bonkers, which is kind of nice, and it's much lauded, this whole soundtrack, I think the way that it's used, it lessens the momentum and the rhythm of many scenes. And I've never been a fan of the main theme, as I said, but I get how people can like it. And overall, the soundtrack can be called, if nothing else, it's interesting with all these different kind of effects recorded on top of each other, these weird drums and whatnot. And yes, I do recommend Suspiria, but um, it's more thanks to the visuals and creating kind of this psychotic, psychotic milieu. It's really, it has really a lot of things going for it, but I think the film would have benefited a lot from some better musical pacing. Like, I think we here see some of the downsides, as I was talking about the, the kind of making the music before shooting the film. You get the visual inspiration for your soundtrack if you see the actual material. And I understand that this kind of approach can certainly uh, give you different kind of creative avenues, but it just doesn't completely work for me here. And uh, I see a lot of less artistic and more trashy horror elements here, to be honest, or what I would call some kind of a C-grade campy stuff. And I think it's a trope of the giallo as well, the fast cut close-ups that we've been going on and on and on about or the the perverted camera that is kind of a character of its own, perhaps, is taking these extended shots of these victims and how the knife goes into the body and so many close-ups. The silly, overblown, fake blood, the wax heads. Then there is the, the factor that the film also falls into this trope of, okay, let's do ugliness for the ugliness's sake. Like, let's put a lot of scary spooky maggots here because maggots are scary and that's it because it doesn't serve any narrative purpose really it's just it's a stare because maggots are spooky scary and uh, yeah the witches are super witchy they are but i think i still think that even with all of its flaws i think Suspiria is certainly fun enough you know we have these super killers and they are completely unpredictable in the sense of or vis-a-vis some kind of real-world sense, it's certainly something that I think only the Italians pull off in this way that they pull it off, with that kind of a straight-mark feel of terror, perhaps, that it's completely, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. There's something really eerie about 
how they depict the 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 antagonist in Suspiria and other films like this. Certainly has been copied in the American horror scenes, but yeah, I would recommend Suspiria. Yeah, it's kind of safe to say that if Suspiria does nothing for you, then the rest of the Argentos won't do either. Yeah, I am into that. Check out Suspiria if you want to see if this is your thing. And next week we are gonna check out the remake. But before we do, you really know you're watching Suspiria 77. When? When you once read from somewhere that names which begin with letter K are names of pretentious podcast hosts. Okay. I'm the pretentious one here. Most definitely. I'm, I'm the sophisticated man of culture. <laughs> Where is this coming from? You want to talk about more about the giallo and how this is giallo and not giallo? <laughs> trying, trying to pass Suspiria off as giallo is a, is a, is a grade A example of being pretentious. <laughs> Supernatural it's elevate, or giallo. It's, it's trying to elevate supernatural witch film by by tying it down with a subgenre of horror films that ha enjoys for some reason a greater level of prestige. I'm really curious what was pretentious here. No, well, maybe it's overall pretentious to jump into the discussion of what giallo is or isn't. So props for both of us for that. Insofar as giallo is anything, you know, it's such a, such a wide term for a specific kind of films. See, that, that right there, that's, that's pretension going on. Pay attention, audience. This, this is pretension going on. Well, what did I do? Like, it, this is the... You, you are, what, what, like mentioned, you are trying to tie, tie down a whole bunch of unrelated films, fil films from... God knows what categories, God knows what genres in the giallo, this genre. Simply so that you can actually loan the films some more prestige. Give them no. some kind of a clout by, by making the case that no, 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 these are giallos. Because the whole goddamn world is supposed to be on, on the same card on the fact that giallos are some kind of a goddamn masterpieces. No, and no, no. And everything is good if it's... Giallo. No, except it, Giallo itself. Hasn't it been kind of Argento film? God damn it! Hasn't it been kind of clear throughout this episode that I'm not like the <laughs> biggest fan of Giallo, and I don't really give it keep it as in such of a high regard. I just want to put the finger where where it should be pointing, and Suspiria is Giallo. Deal with it. <laughs> it most definitely is not Giallo. It is and, super, supernatural and Giallo. To to, go, to 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 move on to the next point. But the whole discussion that we have been having is, is completely thanks to you, Gary, because these are your goddamn quickies and this is your goddamn question, and I gave you the answer. All right. You really know you're watching Suspiria when the next time you're in the dark, you'll feel the shades of red penetrating through the trees and you hear the gobbling theme in your head, for better or worse. I guess this is the part where I say this should do it. Hopefully, yes, because I most definitely I'm not gonna continue on the topic anymore. Hmm. So pretentious. 
<laughs> you 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 have you have offended my my qualities of taste here. <laughs> well, I'm I'm now butthurt and refuse to work with you in collaboration. <laughs> At least for the rest of the week. Yeah, I thought so. Well, we can actually start to close off the flick lab for this week finally uh, with these closing words from Hannu Pirkpakka. Quote: Your friend is a good opponent. You are the sense of reason and the comic pairs straight man. Not in the sense that you would be less interesting. On the contrary, whereas Henrik is more offensive and overbearing, so you are a great couple. Closing your episode by reading out loud nice things said about yourself that have been said by someone who has more professionalism than the both of us combined. That that's kind of that's once again, that's a that's a A train ticket to pretentiousness. Oh really? That this is the antithesis oh, of yeah. of pretentiousness because. Did you see anywhere Hannu saying that we are pretentious? <laughs> pretentious. This is coming from a professional, goddammit. And he also said that you I'm, are I'm... you are the more offensive and overbearing character in this podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to come back to this time and time again. And this has been I'm, proven I'm, by yeah. saying that I'm pretentious here. <laughs> I'm insulted now as well. <laughs> I I must say I'm I I do find it intriguing and uh, and also kind of funny how how there has been this narrative fuck we are going completely off the rails here and this is completely off topic but the the whole narrative that has built around around the po- podcast and the two of us where i have slowly become the bad guy of the podcast you you are the the national mm-hmm. man of man of sense and sensibility and the silky voice for your listening pleasure nice guy oh, oh nice guy who who has the perfect voice <laughs> and i i'm i'm the mean bully who is overly aggressive and offensive and just takes a piece on everyone and whose voice sounds like rat piece being dragged through concrete no and that that, that is that is somewhat hilarious to me because when we started, the whole whole dynamic was that you were supposed to be, or I was the one who went on with the whole speech about how emotions are important and human experience is really important and lives are all important. And you were you were more the I piss on your feelings, feelings are stupid, you are being stupid type of guy and there has been this switch <laughs> there has been this switch where everybody else perceives the two of us as basically completely the opposite well from my perspective you will always be the villain of this podcast and i guess it's gonna be the same for you <laughs> that I, am the villain. <laughs> I, I have to challenge this guy every week we can't just talk about giallo like yeah this is part of giallo cool Thank you for joining us, but no, we have to go into this rants and fighting and, you know, <laughs> what kind of that, an intelligent that's, podcast that's, is this that's one? Only, that's only because, because you have been gone on the record stating that, that emotions and feelings 
are a failure or mistake in in human brain activity and the love itself is nothing more than you know hormones and misguided signals in your brain looks like at this point we are just using any kind of thread that we can use just to jump on top of each other and kind of one up each other <laughs> so next week we, 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 we have got it we have finally got it back to the good old original days of the flick lab when we were fighting a hell of a lot more <laughs> yeah all right but uh happens that my uh, good buddy or my one of my kind of a directors that we have gone through a quite a, ex extensively in this podcast is returning once again so back to luca guadagnino and suspiria from 2018 and it's gonna be the halloween weekend yeah, join us next week for the remake of Suspiria. I promise to bully the film, the director, and especially Kari more next week. <laughs> next week. Phones him all the time and has a some kind of a you know devilish laugh. <laughs>